Hello and welcome to the From the Field podcast, a series that takes you inside the Australian cotton industry. I'm Darren Davies and this is Season 1, Episode 3. On the programme today, if you've heard about the Australian cotton industry in the media, chances are you'll have heard the debate about cotton's water use and if it's an appropriate crop to grow in Australia's climate. However, what's often overlooked is that having a healthy river system is just as important for cotton growers as being able to grow a crop. Without that healthy river and ecosystem, the effects would be huge, not just for the environment, but also for the towns and their ability to use the river as a recreation source and for other purposes. In central west New South Wales, a project has been working to ensure the Macquarie River remains as healthy as possible. A fish restocking program where fingerlings were released back into the river has been aiming to ensure the biodiversity in the waterways continues to thrive. Amanda Thomas is a cotton grower and has been involved in the project. Hi Amanda and welcome to the podcast. Hi Darren, how are you going? Yeah, I'm very, very well. Can you tell us why, uh, why you're in Warren? What's your, what's your background? Oh, so my background is, I guess I'm a, a scientific background in agronomy and research and also I'm married to cotton farmer so that's one of the things that we do. We've also got some cattle and trucking and things like that. I also work for the cotton industry as a extension officer, so working with researchers and growers all the time. So I'm pretty embedded in the industry and I have been working in here, this is going to make me sound old, but for about 23 years. So you, you, you certainly um, uh, understand a whole range of issues that, uh, that uh, impact on cotton and how, uh, how healthy it is and what it takes to make it healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think, oh, look how sustainable really it is in our, in our farming, in our farming areas. And also, you know, it ebbs and flows. You know, you can end up, you can be a cotton grower for two years out of 10, or you can, when the water's there, we can grow it five years. You know, it's just something that we do when it's available. And we, we don't have the ability to do that when the water's not there because it's, you know, the main thing is to make sure the towns and the environment get the water first. And then whatever's left over gets divided up between the irrigators and and with their licences. So it, it is something that we sort of, we might do it one or two years in a row and then we'll have a bit of a break, which we which we look forward to, and then, then we'll do it again. But it really makes our business, it, it you know, it, it lends itself to, to being able to long-term put on, you know, we put on four or five staff and that's really important to us to keep them on through the drought and through the good times and cotton in our system allows us to do that. Can you tell me, talking about um, good times and bad times, can you take us through the last, the last five years? You've had some ups and downs, haven't you, out there? Yeah, we have. Look, I guess when, um, you know, if I think back on to that five years, at the moment where we're having a really great season, we had a great season last year. Um, prior to that, uh, we had four years of quite solid drought, um, which we, we weren't sort of getting our winter crops, we weren't getting any summer crops. Um, we had to basically sell all of our stock and you know if everyone did hear about that drought it was such a long and extended period and then it was followed by a, a great period the rains came we got some crops in and then we got this mice plague and um, yeah so that was another another thing to deal with and I think you know I guess going forward the last year or so has been you know it's been really good just to recover from that drought and start to you know, get our soils and our rivers and, and our farms healthy again. Yeah, take us through um, the real impact of that. You were, we were talking offline earlier on about um, some of the dust, the impacts of that. I mean, tell us, how, how bad did it get? 
Oh, look, it was pretty soul-destroying. And I'm, I think as far as things go, it was the, a friend and I, the, she's the girl that started by from the bush. It, we can't explain it, only that it's quite insipid, that it just creeps up on you and it's year after year. It's not sort of like a flash thing that hits you. And, you know, you just lose that ability to plan forward. You're not sure where your income's going to come from. But I have to say... The generosity and the kindness and the people pulling together that I saw in that drought, when I look back on it, I know it was hard and we and we had to change what we do, you know, and our income was really sort of hit hard, but it pulled a lot of people together. And, and to be honest, we had time to do things that, you know, we hadn't, hadn't done before, even though like there was no holidays on the cards or anything like that. And it was just dust storms. I, you know, filmed, you just, time lapse of dust storms coming in it looked like you'd look out the window and there was Ayers Rock literally sitting at your back door you go okay I've got 15 or 20 minutes before this thing rolls in and then it'd just go completely dark and and windy and then bright orange and then next minute then it'd blow away again and and in that there'd often be two spots of rain just to stick everything to the cement and just wow. to go oh remember that and we'd like yep <laughs> Wow, and and tell me, are you still you you're telling me before you're still finding evidence of that. Um, oh yes, yeah. you go to move an old desk or something, and as you move it, the red dust shakes out, and and you go, oh yes, the dust storm, and the next minute you move it, and three dead mice skeletons fall out. Oh, the mouse plague! It's like history's <laughs> embedded in our things. Uh, it's it's it's. I mean, you, you must wonder sometimes because, um, you know, being uh, often a, a city dweller by nature now, but being a country boy by heart, you, you must wonder that, you know, that, that some people don't know what that's like at all. It would be quite a shock for some people to see that. I, I, I would have, I think so. But I guess being involved in, and watching my friends start that buy from the bush and how much city people were the backbone and the support of that. And we've got children that go to school in the city and I think that would have been the case, but I think the ability of social media and, and news reports going beyond what's happening in Sydney has actually, you know, over time, I think we are getting some awareness of, of what's going on out here and, and people are actually interested and they care. Like those drought appeals and, and the people that came out and delivered food and things to us in the drought, you don't forget that stuff. And and it wasn't just one group of people on it telethon it was everyone and and it was you know that I know it was for a long time and and the government support was sort of you know came at the end but you know it was still there and I'm, I'm really appreciative of it. You know I had a chat with uh, Joe Briggs who uh, is instrumental in um, positive actions around mental health for farmers um, it must take its toll and you must have seen uh, it um, taking a toll uh, out in Warren and other locations during those tough times. Uh, definitely and yeah, no, we did. And we, and, and I guess because, you know, we're, we're a tight knit community out here. It was our social, our social life and our friends and just talking about the, <laughs> the shitness together was actually what got us through. We started a band. We, you know, I, I guess, you know, you're sort of all in it together. There is no one exempt from it when you're in this community. It affects the small businesses. It affects the LGAs. It affects, you know, the farmers, it, it just literally blanketed the community and, and was this, we just, you just don't know when it's going to end. And, and I guess that's the same with any sort of disaster. It's just this one's a really slow, creeping, moving thing and you're trying to plan for the future but going, oh, better not do too much there in case we don't get another crop or, and things like that. But 
you know, it just makes you plan better for the future. And, you know, there's good times and bad times. You've got to really take advantage of the good times and plan for those. You know, we'll always have, you know, start to pile up hay and, and do those things that we can try and manage better for the next drought. And getting, yeah, t- talking about something that's quite associated, I would imagine, there's a, probably a direct connection between the health of the river system. So when it's up, moods are up, people are happy. Um, when it's down, potentially less so. Um, why is it so important that we have a healthy river system in and around us here? Oh, look, I think it's the lifeblood of our communities. And, you know, our our fortunes rise and fall on that on that river and it's probably one of the most important assets that that we want to protect and and I guess for us it's a big part of our social life as well which is you know what you need I think when you know times are tough or even when you're celebrating it's always a barbecue out on the riverbank put some lines in and um, and that's how our kids have grown up that's how we grew up and that's how we hope their kids will grow up. Darren Davies here, just taking a quick break from the podcast to let you know how easy it is to discover more about the Australian cotton industry today. For farmer stories, interactive video quizzes, fascinating case studies and key industry information, head to cottonaustralia.com.au or search for Cotton Australia on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. Now though, it's back to the episode. Tell me then, um, how is the river system now? Is it healthy? And what actions have you taken uh, as farmers to ensure that health? So as a group of farmers out here, we, we have been um, using some funds to put fingerlings back into back into the river system for the last 15 years out here. And, and that's in conjunction with our local shire. And we do that across um, Narromine as well. So um, with our Macquarie Cotton Growers Association, we see that as something you know, that we can sort of, we get dollar for dollar funding with the New South Wales fisheries. And as the years have gone by, we sort of um, joined up with a few other people and just got some research into, you know, one year we might release cod, the next the next year it's golden perch. And we've worked out when we're looking at the fingerlings, what's the best chance to release them into areas where there is, um, you know, protection and logs and things like that, that they can hide in because they're quite vulnerable. You can't just dump them all at a central location or they're just a feeding <laughs> feeding frenzy for the for the bigger fish but as we've been doing it and we, we live on a on a creek in town I feel like you can often you're catching the same age fish yeah so you can sort of see the releases are actually having having an impact um, and yeah given that we know that those the river did sort of dry up in patches um, we know that those numbers were greatly affected and we've got to work really hard to provide the habitat, I think, is just as important. Um, on our farm, we, we've fenced off the river from, from stock and that has a really big impact because you start to see grasses grow back on the riverbank and then insects feed on the grasses and then insects on the water and fish feed on the insects. Like there's a real ecosystem that, you know, you need to protect and you can, you don't, you see the difference once you take a few steps to actually try and improve that and protect it. It's an interesting point because you have many connections to uh, your waterways, don't you? You First and foremost, I suppose, it, it is part of what you do. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's part of our, yeah, it's, it's a core part of what we do. And, um, yeah, and I think also, yeah, on, a, on many different levels, just 
I guess for us, for if we we are lucky enough to be able to irrigate, which like I said to you, for us it works out about two years out of two or three years out of ten that we'll we'll do that. Um, yeah, but other than that, it's just yeah, it's sort of where we live and where we socialise. And so, how do these? How does? How do the uh, the fingerling? How does this system work? It sounds intriguing. So you're returning fish to the water. How does that work? So each year we still do the fingerling releases within our areas, and that's part of the cotton growers initiative that that pairs up with the local council, that pairs up with New South Wales Fisheries. So we get real bang for buck, and we do that at least once a year. But in the drought, when the river dried up, there was it just became, you know, there was no flow. So there was quite big pools and they were sort of located either around weirs and we had quite a few on our farm. And my husband and son identified that, you know, there was a lot of fish in those pools. Um, and so they rang New South Wales Fisheries to see if there's anything that they could do about it. And they were actually working in an initiative with Ozfish. Um, and we worked with the Dubbo guys from Ozfish, New South Wales, DPI and fisheries and they came out and they actually um, rel- they, they sort of took some steps um, to relocate some of those fish and take them back to some fish farms and the DPI um, research stations to breed with them and then they said to us oh we'll bring them back when the drought's over and we sort of thought oh yeah okay when they turned up there was a team of you know 20 people that were so vested and passionate about this there was local fishermen there was a guys from Ozfish there was New South Wales DPI they had these special made tanks and everything to transport the fish back because they were taking you know quite large breeding adults to be able to breed with them and then bring those particular stock back to back to the to the Macquarie so they all in between Dubbo and right up past us, they actually went and released them at, you know, locations similar to where they got the breeding stock. What has resulted from that um, that process? So from the process so far, they've come back and they've, that I know of on our farm, they've done three different releases, um, yeah, of, of fingerlings, which is, you know, I guess, that that's sort of the easiest to transport and things like that. So from those core breeding stock that they take, they've already done, I'm not sure of the numbers, but thousands of fingerlings and and the plan is to continue with that. Yeah, it was a really great initiative and, and a lot of local people were involved with it and and just really proud to be involved with it. So tell me over the, like take me back as far as you want, but let's let's just have a, um, a a flick back in time. How long ago was it that it wasn't so healthy, and then how would you describe it today? So we've had quite a yeah a few years of the the levels started to go back up. We've got water in the dam now. In terms of healthiness, it's a really hard hard thing to say because. There's a lot of things that need to go in to make a healthy, viable, you know, sustainable river system. And and when you talk to, you know, we've been to a few meetings and things with those Ozfish groups and stuff now, and they're really passionate about habitat and making sure that that's still in the river. And when the river dried up, you could see that 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 still was the case on our farm anyway. Um, you know that that's there, but that that's just as important as as flow. I think just just to have those logs and those you know, I guess things that people find annoying in the river um, are what actually really important to the fish. And you mentioned too that um, you're fencing off the area. That That's improved things greatly as well. Yeah, so so for us, we, um, yeah, did an initiative where we decided to, yeah, just fence off the river. Previously, the stock were going up and down 
and just put some watering points in. And actually, I had a look the other day and you're actually able to get funding to do that often as well. So, um, yeah, so you could fence off the river and then and then put your watering alternate watering points in and then you sort of not got large hoofed animals and actually also just kangaroos and pigs and things too can make a bit of a mess of that riverbank as well. So, um, yeah, then once you get those grass species kind of going all the way down to the to the river, then you kind of get, you know, insects and just the ecology sort of just builds quite quickly. Can you describe the feeling uh, that you get, that your family gets when you do go fishing and it's a worthwhile, fun thing to do as a family now? Oh, look, that's been for us all the way through. I was, yeah, just saying there was a few benefits in, in the drought in terms of the water was quite clear and quite... So the boys were fishing with lures, which they don't normally in the river because it's a bit too murky. But, um, yeah, I think that's that's something when you grow up out here, you know, that's... There's no way you think about Easter without thinking about river and fishing and, you know, oh, whatever my son said to me two days ago, oh, two weeks after the full moon, best fishing time. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, they know the legal size of a cod before they know how to do their times table. So, and in saying that, one thing that we, we really do, you know, unless we rarely, we definitely catch and release, um, Unless we've sort of, it might be at Easter, we might keep one or two to, to do little fresh cod pieces, deep fried, best shallow fried. It's actually the best, the best thing. But um, yeah, like he's, like, like the kids kind of learn quite, you know, where you've got to touch a fist to give it the best chance to release and go back into the river without putting, I don't know, you know, your fingerprints all over it. And you know, they really learn that just from from doing and it's when we pair up with those old fishermen and stuff like that they learn so much about it and I don't think they'll ever forget that. So it's really been a connection thing for the community hasn't it? You've met some new people, you've encountered new um, characters. Uh, I saw a photo of some of the people who who have helped you and they they really do look look like there's a lot of um, a lot of fun, um, some real depth of experience in life there. Yeah, and we've got people that have been coming for over 20 years that, and that might have started with someone got talking to someone in a shop in Nelson Bay or something, and then they go, oh, oh have you guys got river country? Okay, oh, we'll come out. And and w- when I think about all the people that come, it's a policeman we met somewhere that's been coming for 10 years or, or whatever. And once sort of, you know, it's, once you have those established relationships, they know how to move on your farm when it's wet or dry or, you know, they come, but it's just, you, you'd be really surprised by how many people and people that just live in Dubbo just want to get out for the weekend, have no phone service, go fishing, go for a ride, you know, chase a pig, which we've got plenty of at the moment. Um, yeah, and I think the more of that lifestyle and the less sort of, you know, for me, every every minute that the kids aren't on a on a computer game and they're outside and fishing and scheming how they're going to go fishing and now they can... And you teach them to bait and tie the knots and do all that themselves so they're not, Mum, can you, Dad, can you do this? So, you know, they're diving in for a snag and, you know, they really know how to do it themselves now and they're not that old. But, um, yeah, the more that you do those things, I just think it's good, you know, it's a good way to grow up. That sounds sounds fantastic. Um, the, the other thing I suppose I was thinking while you were saying that was the almost unintended consequence of your actions and the actions of, Everybody involved in this project, I would imagine, is a greater understanding of how much farmers do care about their waterways. 
that that's a great that that's a really good point and a big one for me is that those yeah no before that there had been some sort of you know inferences that we don't care about that we're just sort of extracting water from the river and I think when they came out there and they saw what we've got in our little setup with all the the uh the hut and the little you know we put some dongers out there and stuff and and that that it is part of our our social life and that to think that I, I cannot think of one cotton grower that does not care about that the river honestly of the people that I know and that I work with it's you know there's a big portrayal of of you know these people you know big corporates stealing water that that's just not a thing like we have these meters and stuff we're really good mates with the state water people who come and read the meters and it's you know we just we just do the right thing all the time and it it is really disappointing when that when other stories sort of get promoted and and the real stories is not that interesting to the media and I'm and I'm glad people do take the time to listen and and find out more and and actually when you talk to people they're really interested and they're they're blown away by oh so oh you can't just take water when you want no we've got a license and someone tells us how much of that license we can use when and where i mean it's no different to me not knowing the ins and outs of tax law for from a lawyer in sydney like he that's his world and what he's doing and he's quite caught up in it and i can try and understand it from the outside but i, I wouldn't know until i walked a day in his shoes so and i think that's the same thing that that we have Thanks, Amanda. It's been a pleasure having you as a part of the podcast. Thank you. No worries. So that's all for this episode of From the Field. Thanks to our guest, Amanda Thomas, and thanks for your company on the podcast today. The More stories. There are more stories, and uh, there's much more information on the Australian cotton industry. If you'd like to know more, visit cottonaustralia.com.au or head to Cotton Australia's social media channels. To hear other episodes of the podcast, just search for From the Field. And don't forget to leave a review. That'll help us get the word out. This episode has been produced by Robert Virtue for Cotton Australia. I'm Darren Davies. We'll talk to you soon.